0: we anyway.
1: Welcome to episode 37. This week, we talk to film director Jeremiah Kip. Check out his work at kippfilms.com, because it is good. Link in the show notes as usual. Okay. I don't want to give away the whole episode, but there's a lot about directing. There's a lot that pertains to everybody that has a professional life, which I hope is you, because we all got to earn money somehow. So... If you have a professional life, how do you merge that with your personal life? This is just an all-around good episode. It encompasses a lot. But being that it's about mainly movies, I'd like to plug the uh, iPhone, iPad app, Audio Fix for videos. Download it for free. It automatically cleans and boosts the volume in all your videos, because I'm sick of videos that I can't hear. I can't turn my phone up anymore. I don't want to have to cup the speaker. So download AudioFix for videos. It's free to try. Check it out. And enjoy this episode. I'm Gary Levitt with Matt Kaplan and Jeremiah Kipp. Yeah!
2: Jeremiah Kipp hi thanks thanks for being here my pleasure so the last couple guests we had our last guest we had was a 35 year old virgin and the guest before that her mom was a sex worker
3: well i'm gonna go home then (laughs) how can can i compete with that
2: are you a virgin no okay was your mom a sex worker
3: no not to my knowledge okay
2: where do we begin then my gosh (laughs) (laughs) no you're actually a great uh film director And I watched a bunch of your stuff online. Oh, thank you. Very impressive. Thank you. Very impressive. Um, I noticed that uh, you had actors of all ages, but I was wondering if it was odd to direct older people.
3: Wow, that's a great question. Uh, So, uh, actually, I love directing older people Mm -hmm. and little kids. I mean, they're the best actors. Because older actors, like if you've got, like, an experienced school director, they'll walk into the room and they'll have nothing to prove. They're immediately relaxed because they've been there. They've done that. Right. And, you know, and, and they have that sort of attitude of, like, I'm just going to do this. And it's much the same way as, like, when, when you have little children, they can pick up a stick and it's a magic wand and then it's a knife and then it's a gun and then it's back to being a stick again in, like, one second because yeah, their that, imagination is so fertile. Yeah. You know, um, but they're also so relaxed. I mean, a kid can effortlessly go into like the magic of make-believe and then go back to being a kid again. And an older person, you know, has a similar quality because they have nothing to prove in their lives. So they can effortlessly go into playing the senator, you know, and then go back to being Bill, you know, in like two seconds. Yeah. Well, you're, you're a young guy. Thank you. I'll take it.
2: (laughs) Relatively. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, uh, do you ever feel like, oh, who am I to, this person has more experience on sets. Who am I to tell this person what to do?
3: No, I've never felt that because I feel like I'm doing a job and a service, you know, and I'm working with somebody. So it's not like I'm... You know, I'm you know, not. I'm, they're my collaborator. They're like my ally, hopefully. You know, and uh, Do you I don't know. But like there's a funny story though about uh, John Huston directed his father Walter Huston in Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and they asked him, "What's it like directing your father?" And he said, "On the on the film set, the director is the father," which I thought was really compelling. I don't know if I feel that way, but uh, is that why they had the scene of him cutting his cock off? Oh my gosh! <laughs> 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 Pretty wild, right?
2: <laughs> so. Cause was I would imagine an older actor might have an ego about it, like, oh, who is this guy to tell me what to do? I got more experience. Yeah,
3: I don't know. You know, it's like, I I wondered that about working with, like, you know, the quote-unquote name actors, you know, who, like, who come in. So, like, I remember that I had to direct uh, an actor named Tom Sizemore, who was in Natural Born Killers, and he's been directed by Spielberg and Ridley Scott and... Mm you know, all these great Michael Mann, all these great filmmakers. So I did have that moment of like, who am I to direct this guy? You know, I mean, you know, he's he's an interesting, colorful character in his own right. But what put me at ease right away was that he was nervous, you know? I mean, he kind of came in and was... Like, I mean, in our in our correspondence before he even came on to do the job, he's like, I want to do a good job for you guys, you know? And it's like, but he, wants, he wants to do a good job for us, you know? It's like, yeah. I want to I do a good job for him um but he came in and like very and you know his friend was there and it very quickly became obvious that yes he is tom sizemore he's a great actor but he's also tommy from detroit who calls his mother you know Mm -hmm. so like once you know that then you're kind of like he's just a guy who you're collaborating with he does the exact same thing all other actors do and he gets there faster because he's more experienced now when you say he's
2: just tommy from detroit who calls his mother is that your way of just Uh, making him just another human like all of us?
3: No, literally, you know, his friend called him Tommy, and he is from Detroit, and he had to call his mother when he was on the set. So, like, Mm. uh, so no, that's not me trying to bring him down to my level. That's just literally stuff that he did that made me say, "Eh, you know, I mean, here he is, and here am I, and we're here today, and we're doing our jobs, and he knows his lines, and he was wonderful. You know, he was really great. He's got a reputation for being a total nutcase. And, you know, he had a dark period in his career where he was do you know just smoking some really bad rock for a while? But it seems to have he seems to have turned a corner. I mean, the guy that I met was there, ready to work and ready to play. And is there good rock? You know, <laughs> I I would assume not. Well, whatever. If there is, then I, he didn't. I see think it, it I starts think. off <laughs> good and slowly gets
0: worse. <laughs> <laughs> I think he he documented that. Didn't he? Have, he, he did. A yeah. Oh, sure. Been he's like been on reality. Yeah.
3: He did that. He wrote a book. I mean, yeah. he's done his you know, all that stuff. So, uh, but he seems to have turned a corner he was just on twin peaks working with David Lynch. So not, that's not, that's not bad company to keep. Yeah. So, okay. So he's worked with some of the top directors.
2: Oh, for sure. And, uh, were you humbled by that? Like, maybe he knows better than you?
3: Well, I certainly wanted to listen to anything that he had to say, you know. Uh, it's. But then, you know, when you're working with somebody, I don't even think it gets into who knows better. It's more like who, whoever has the best idea wins, you know. It's mm-hmm. like, I mean, if he comes in with a great idea, then, you know, like, let's... Take the great idea. If anybody comes in with a great idea, then as a director, you take their good idea and it becomes yours, you know? So you're open Uh,
2: to actors giving their ideas?
3: I am, you know, and then if, and then when I direct an actor, I never say, no, you need to do it this way. It's like I might play it more like, you know, that's great, now why don't we try it this way, you know? So, and also you're doing multiple takes, you know, you're not, it's not just take one and you're done, you know, it's like take two, you might want to do a variation. So you're like, that's great, now why don't we try one as if, you know, but, you know play, give them a different verb to play. See, that's yeah. the psychology coming into play when you're sure. like, oh, that's great, let's try it this way. For sure. Because oh, yeah. that
2: also means, I don't like it, let's try it this way. Well, yeah, <laughs> well,
3: I mean, you know, but it's like a soft way of saying that, because I could be wrong, too. I've certainly been wrong in the editing room, and I've seen take one, I'm like, oh, yeah, take two, three, and four, We're rubbish, you know. Yeah. Uh, let's go with his or her choice. You know, that's always why I give the actor the first choice, you know. It's like, mm-hmm. take one, I'll always, without direction, so let's see what you're going to do. And then I'll give var- they'll do variations, sometimes just to have other options when, when you're cutting stuff together in the editing room, because nobody, if you're doing a feature film, I mean, nobody can see the whole movie in their head, and if they do say that, they're lying. Because in the editing room, it's a mosaic, and you're putting these pieces together, and if you have options for a scene, if the has played it a couple of different ways, then you can shape the story in a slightly different way. So it's always good to get variations. Then the last take, I'll almost always give it to the actor and say, well, you try something else, you know,
0: yeah. surprise me. As an actor, Yeah, it's such a gift when, when a director does that. And, and Jeremiah, you're great with that. It oh, feels you. like so comforting and so inspiring to say, do your thing. How does it feel? Mm-hmm. And then you go from there and it's just, it's, it's great. to to be on set
3: yeah well i've worked with you twice matt i mean like uh so i'm glad you had a good experience you know i mean to me it's just like we're just playing make-believe when Mm -hmm. we were when we were doing our thing together it was just like okay you're a zombie today right you know or you're running from the zombies today or whatever it is one or the other usually yeah yeah Yeah.
2: (laughs) so how when you're casting how important is uh, the actor's acting ability or ability to be directed or
3: just ability to work with others in that creative environment wow that's also a great question uh i think that's what i look for when i'm auditioning you know it's like all three yeah you know you want to you want to well you just want to see because every actor is different every person is different and every actor is different every actor comes from a different place
2: yeah and then the the unique we'll get to this question but the unique thing about being an actor is that there's not many other creative forms where you're being told what to do or you know, usually as a mm-hmm. musician or uh, a yeah. stand-up comedian, you just do your thing. Sure. And you're your only critic. Yeah. But as an actor, you just you do it, and but then ultimately, someone else is having the say.
3: Yeah, that's the difference between movies and theater. In the theater, I think the actor ultimately is the editor. You know, the actor is on stage for two hours or whatever it is. You know, so the director, at a certain point, I hear in the rehearsal process, gets gently pushed away because, like, you know, if if Jessica Lange and Gabriel Byrne are doing Long Day's Journey into Night, there's no cut. You know, they're just doing it for however long Eugene O'Neill's play is. You know, and in in movies, it's different, where you know you're 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 there on. that day, you know, whatever, you know, whatever you're bringing to the table that day is what's there. And you might be working with actors who are entirely different in their process. I know I was assistant directing a couple years ago, a wonderful film called Live, L-I-V. And we had two older actors who were both very experienced. This one guy was Harris Yulin, who's in Scarface, great actor. He's a Juilliard guy, so he walked into the room. It was his character's office. He's looking in the desk drawers like he's touching all the props on the desk. He's making sure he knows what everything is because it's his office. I mean, he's not even going to open the desk in the scene, but he's just, like, checking to see what's there. And uh, and the other guy is Frankie Faison, who was on The Wire. He's a great actor. He's in Do the Right Thing. He's been in a million movies. And he comes in, and he sort of just barely looked at the uh, the script. He's kind He of, doesn't really know all of his lines yet. He's kind of like, what are my lines today? <laughs> These all right. Okay, fine. And then like Frankie was hilarious cuz Julia uh, cuz uh, Harris is very serious and Frankie was like acting is silly. You know, cooking is serious. Acting is ridiculous. I don't acting is stupid. And he, I think he did that so that he could relax. Right. So, you got these two different guys coming at it from two different schools of thought in a scene together. And then, you know, like once they start acting together, it's like it doesn't matter that they're coming at it from two different processes. They're playing together and then the director is playing with them, you know. And, and I think that's all you would want from, a, from an actor as a director is like somebody who comes ready to play who's done their homework or has done enough life homework that they they bring their life experience to the set. Somebody who's there to create with you and like have a you know, I I mean, having a good time thing is actually less important to me because it's nice to have a good time. It's better to have a good time than not have a good time. But the audience doesn't really care if you had a good time or not, you know, I mean, all they're seeing is like what's in the frame in that shot and the next shot, and the next shot after that. So, you guys had a miserable day and everybody was screaming at each other and it was a hostile work environment and all that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, that doesn't matter if the performances are there, the story is being told and the audience is enjoying what they're seeing. They don't know that it was a nightmare on the set that day. And you could you happened. could also easily placate an actor by being like, oh, yeah, let's do your idea, and mm-hmm. then
2: just not use it in the editing room.
3: For sure. You know, I mean, that is that is a tactic, for sure. But I think it's, instead of looking at it as like, I'm going to dismiss your idea, it's like, I'm going to take your idea. Mm-hmm. We have your idea now. Take one as your idea. That's right. great. You know, and now let's try mine. You know, if you, if you give me your idea, you know, I think, you know, an actor will respect you if you give them the opportunity to let them play, let them show you what they have. You and know? it also frees them creatively. Absolutely. And also, you might get inspired by that. You might right? see what they're doing and then be like, oh, that's great. Now, why don't we add this, you know, or mm. whatever. Um, I think that's, you know, that, that's the fun of it, I think, is like that act of discovery. And also that I could be wrong, you know. It's like I, I'm not afraid to admit that I'm wrong. If, like, an actor gives something and it's like, oh, that's not what I wanted. And then in the editing room, you discover that is, in fact, what we needed you know so is this part of your auditioning process You're, you
2: are you hoping that they'll bring something that to the table that you might not think of and you also obviously want to be able to work well with
3: them i like to be surprised you know mm. i like it when an actor comes into the room and first in the audition process the same thing i'll like say show me what you have and like let's say matt's auditioning for me i'd have matt play it and then i'll be like great now why don't we try it and i might do something that's totally contrary to the scene if the scene is like i love you i love you then i might say matt that's great now let's try one where it's like uh It's as if you just want to get out of the room, you know, when you're saying, I love you, I love you. You just want to get out of there just to see if they can take a direction and play it. Um, So then you can see if they have range. Then you can see if they're directable. You can see if they only do their one thing and that's it. Sometimes one thing and that's it is all you need. Sometimes an actor will come in and they do the one thing and that's all they're good at. They can only play they're limited range, but that's all you need from it. You know, you don't need anything more. So, but you know, it's good to know what those limits are, you know, through the audition process. When I haven't auditioned, you know, then it's like, you know, you either try somebody out in a really, really, really small part and then see if they've got, like Matt, you know, Matt was, you know, like a zombie the first time I worked with them, And I was like, wow, Matt is really, really great to work with. You know? So then I was doing a music video and I was like, Hey Matt, you want to be like the lead in this music video? Because I knew that he was fun on the set, great to work with collaborative, you know, all that stuff. I knew that I could direct him. So he didn't have to audition for that. He just had to show up and be great, you know, right. Show up and be Matt. All right. That's <laughs> the worst part. of yeah. <laughs> that. Know,
0: it? <laughs> have you uh, ever been on set? You've cast someone and then it strikes you like, Oh no, this isn't the right person.
3: I'll tell you something that did happen. Uh, I worked with an actor who I'll politely keep, I'll, I'll have him remain nameless for yes. God's sake. Uh, but, uh, but I worked with him and it was a really, really engaging shoot. I was assistant directing. He was really good. And it was one of those things, he was an older actor and it was like, oh, wow. I mean, he's still got it. So, then I was like, well, why don't we bring him in for, um, for this other project? And then he came in on the day and was like, didn't know what movie he was in didn't know he didn't read his, the script didn't know his. Li- he read the script on the treadmill that morning but he read the opposite part which was the woman's part you know so he sort of knew the lines for the woman you know the so subconscious like he, is a bit. yeah <laughs> so he showed up and didn't know what planet he was on really you know <laughs> and it was one of those like okay all right here we go it's going to be this today uh this is what we have today uh so then i just counted on the fact that he's been in a million movies and was kind of like all right we're just going to get through this thing somehow you know and um, and he blamed everybody else for his problems. He's like, oh, my agent got me the wrong script, and oh, this and that, the other thing. And, it, you know, the crew just hated his guts. What All were his w- problems? Um, what were his problems? His, I think his problems were that he's... You know how we exist on the planet Earth, and some people seem like they exist on the planet Pluto? That was his problem, I think, because uh-huh. he was just... Like, but a, creatively, mm-hmm. that can be a good thing sometimes. It wound up being a good thing in the editing room, because his performance was so weird. Right. And that was the thing. Like, that's why we cast him, was this was a very exposition-heavy role, which is essentially explaining things. Like, Here's the plot. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, if we get this weird actor in there, at least... It'll be like Gonzo is giving us the exposition, you know, because Gonzo on The Muppet Show was a weirdo, you right. know? So, it's like, we certainly got that. In the editing room, we cut it together. I was dreading it the whole time, being like, oh, this guy was so horrible to work with, and I really... You know, we went out and got drunk afterwards because it was like, that was the only way to numb the pain of like the anguish of like working with a total jackass. I mean, um, he was like grabbing the crew by their legs and like sort of like blowing trumpet sounds before the other act. Like, let's say we were filming Matt right now, like before, like, so I'd be like, roll camera, action. And then this actor would be like, because! like right before I was to say his lines to throw to throw Matt off so that we would have to cut to the older actor anyway in the editing room it wound mm-hmm. up working out okay because his performance is so weird and colorful and unique wait, 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 that, wait. Yeah.
2: is that even productive
3: no it's horrible and, and he's been doing that for 20 years because like I've I read about him and he, he was doing that on on movies a million years ago. this is not Tom Sizemore by the way this Tom Sizemore was wonderful and brilliant <laughs> yeah. and great this is really his crack period no no this is not Tom I'm talking about this is a different actor but uh um, Uh, uh, you know, but uh, he was just a a whack job. But I mean, but I will say that in, you know, you watch the movie and you watch and you do say like, boy, that guy is a whack job, but he is funny as heck to watch. And that is the thing that we discovered in the edit was like, all right, you know what? The guy is a first-class weirdo, but at least it livens up the scene. I mean, the scene is not boring to watch. It it seems like a you know, a strange bird has flown into the movie for a couple of minutes and then flies back out again. But it's certainly I mean, it was certainly fun and livened up the day. Now, it wasn't much fun for me. It wasn't much fun for the actor who was playing opposite him, and it wasn't much fun for the crew who had to put up with all of his crap all day, you know? Like yeah. uh uh, whatever it's uh, that was that was not a good day, but it but it wound up being okay in the end. Well,
2: this is all stuff that goes into the casting. Oh sure, you know, like you hear stories of Brando being very difficult. Oh yeah, on set. And totally. Who's, who's the guy that plays Lincoln? Daniel Day Lewis. Daniel Day Lewis. Mm-hmm. He liked like, to be called Mister President on the set. Yeah, uh, like he, him, the method yeah. acting. He never broke character. Sure. Even off.
3: Yeah, you know, and I mean, I'm down with a method actor. Mm-hmm. You know, if they want to come in and be. You know Stanley Kowalski all day, that's fine if they're great on camera. If they, if they, if they can embody that in the movie, fine. I mean, I, if somebody causes a lot of trouble but are worth the trouble that they caused, then I'm okay with that. You know, it's like, I can right. deal with that. And, you know, especially if it's only for a limited window of time. Like, if they're on there for a day, it's okay. If they're on there for three weeks and they're methoding out for three weeks, it's like, okay. But I think at a certain point, you know, even even that, they're going to get used to the rhythm of the movie and they'll know when, you know, when the method stuff is getting in the way of the flow of productivity. Because that happened, you know, like years ago, I worked with a real actor studio, Method Actory guy. And like, it, it you know, in the beginning, it was just like crazy. It's like, do you really need an hour to do the insert shot of you lifting up the postcard? Mm-hmm. You know, and on and, and day one with him, I was like, this guy is crazy. I mean, how can we deal with this for three weeks and you didn't know that before he was well i mean you know we knew you know we knew he was a you know we knew he was that guy but i mean we also knew he was worth it because he's he was great he's great in the movie he holds the whole movie together he's wonderful uh but it was a pain in the ass you know it was like definitely like irritating to be there like sitting around like watching him be like now we're walking down the hallway let's let's say he's acting with matt all right matt and i are walking down the hallway but i don't want to walk side by side with him because i don't trust him And I don't want to walk ahead of him because I don't want him behind me. I don't like the feeling of him. He could sneak up on me. And I don't want to be behind him because that makes him dominant. So how can we walk down this hallway together? And that's when you, you know. It's just overthinking. And Mm -hmm. that's when the director has to just, you know, at at some point, you know, there's a great, I I, I remember on uh, this, one of my favorite films is Don't Look Now. And uh, it was directed by a really great british director named nicholas rogue and he was working with donald sutherland a brilliant actor sutherland's on the phone with him like before they start production he's like look i think the ending of the movie my character should really be redeemed and should have an epiphanous moment blah 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 you know all this other stuff that has nothing to do with the ending of the movie i won't give away the ending the ending is a shocking ending and it's quite brilliant uh but the director just kind of didn't answer his question Sutherland felt this awkward silence on the phone. The director finally just said, "Do you want to do this movie or don't you?" Mm. Uh-huh. And I was like, "Yes, yes," you know. And Sutherland was like, "Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, I'll do whatever you say." And then, you know, sometimes it is that. You know, sometimes if it is like, you know, if if it is somebody who's doing something that is so bonkers, you know, that you just have to sit there and have the nerve of steel. And, be, and I mean, sometimes that is directing too, and you have to just say, like, "Are you are we going to do this or not?" You know, because at the end of the day, it's like, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing here? It's well, it's, like, it's, it seems
2: to me like yeah. method acting mm-hmm. uh, as an actor, I feel like mm-hmm. you
3: should be able to turn it on and turn it off. I mean, I love that. I mean, those are my favorite kinds of actors. If you can turn it on and turn it off and be collaborative in between, that's wonderful. That is the best. I mean, because then you have an ally to me, and a friend with to you. Me that I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm yeah. you know, I'm not like a big actor or anything,
2: mm-hmm. but uh, it seems to me like that's the skill.
3: Well, I think that is, is it. like, you know, we talked about the kid before, I mean, make believe and then raise are two different things you know i mean even mike lee who does these he's this british filmmaker who does these like sort of immersive you know uh, the plays but, right the, he did yeah the, he does uh he, he does films where they develop them through improvisations and stuff mm-hmm. like that but he always abigail's tells abigail's party yeah something? he did abigail's party yeah. So he did a lot of theater you know um but he always does this thing where he tells the actors come out of character so they can you know so they can talk about the characters objectively and you know and 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 look at it three-dimensionally instead of being in it all the time. And I think that's great. I mean, those are certainly my favorite kinds of actors to work with who can be in it during the take and then can come out of it. And then, you know, if you need something really simple like, hey, I just need you to open up a little bit more towards the camera so I can see your face more or whatever, you know, whatever technical direction it is, they can make those kind of adjustments as well.
0: Yeah, I I think also it just gives everybody time to relax and bond with each other and build trust between fellow actors and crew and director. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Matt, how important is that to you? The idea of like building a relationship with your fellow actors. I
0: think it's very important. And you know, maybe for, for other people, it doesn't matter. But for me, I need to feel comfortable and have trust with my other actors and director to be able to feel like I can take chances and do whatever I need to do. And won't Mm -hmm. be judged that everybody has my back there.
2: Yeah. That's a big, big part of it. As a creative person, I think being working with other people that you feel Mm -hmm. are supportive is so helpful. Like I used to play in a band. Oh, cool. And, uh, you know I have, there was a time when my bass player at the time didn't he wanted us to start singing his songs mm-hmm. and it was a very subconscious thing but i started to like choke up my throat started to choke up and i realized oh. like he wasn't supporting he just wanted to be lead singer yeah and uh i stopped being able to sing with him in the band it was very weird oh wow yeah
0: that's a physical reaction i was right? having a
2: physical reaction to the mental struggle of that yeah.
3: so then how did you how did you ultimately Find your way through that. Uh, we just broke up the bin. It's uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> easiest. <laughs> so the no, not,
0: not as easy when you started filming. Something, okay, guys, it shoots yeah. off. <laughs> Everybody, go home. But, uh, well, have you ever had to
3: do that? Be like, all right, you're not working out, buddy. Like, replace somebody or yeah. fire them. I'm sure I have had to. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but like, I, I try to make it a rarity because you want to, you know, you want to you know, you're, you're making a company, you know, and you want to have all the right people in there. Um, I don't know. I, off the top of my head, I can't remember firing somebody. Um, I have had moments that are like awkward where you wind up cutting an actor out of a movie, not because the performance is bad necessarily, but because it doesn't fit with the flow of the story. So, I've done that occasionally where I have to call up an actor and be like, hey, I'm really sorry, but your scene got cut and... You know, uh, it was really because they're an asshole. No, it's because you know. I mean, often it's because the you know in the flow of the narrative that scene becomes extraneous. You know, and right. uh, like there's a movie called Waking the Dead, and Ed Harris had like a big eight minute scene in that, and it got cut out, and they had to call him and be like, Ed. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, and that's a tough phone call to make. But like, uh, no, and it's not. I mean, I would never cut somebody because they were an asshole. I mean, them being an asshole has very little bearing on whether they're a good actor or not. I mean, it has bearing on how fun they are to hang out how with or whatever, you know. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily want to work with somebody who's an asshole again because there are many talented people. You might as well work with people that you like. Um... But, uh, but now let's get back to the thing you were talking about before, which was the trust thing, because you, yeah. on our music video, you, Matt and I did a music video a couple weeks ago. It was by a band called Suit of Lights and the music video is called Break Open the Head. And there's a bit where, like, uh, Matt is being pinned down and, like, you're getting this elaborate helmet being put on you and stuff is being stuck up your nose and stuff like that, yeah. you know? And I'm just curious about your safety. They, I mean, didn't, if I were an actor, I would be a little worried about, 10 people pinning me down and sticking shit in my face. Well, Matt likes that. I, I, I think a few
0: things. One is I, I knew you previously mm-hmm. and we have a lot of mutual friends, so I had, mm-hmm. at this point complete trust in you. So I knew you were there. Yeah. Um so I wasn't, you know, terribly worried. I knew if there was anything going really bad, you would have mm-hmm. you you would have stopped it. Mm-hmm. Um I had spent time with a lot of the people at that point ah, just so you were that day yeah. So I felt okay. I mean, I didn't know all of them, but they all seemed like good people, mm-hmm. so I trust there. Were you like
2: scared physically? Is
0: that what I you wasn't mean? scared physically, but it was definitely uncomfortable. I mean, it was a lot of people pretty much manhandling me yeah. um, as I was falling into this. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, at some point, you just have to you, you just have to trust that this is going to work out. And um, you know, if I, if I'm not completely throwing myself into it, it's going to show. Especially in that mm-hmm. scene, um, that I was like, this is we we're, we're creating something here. So I'm just going to trust my fellow actors and and Jeremiah and everyone else around and hope for the best. I mean, what's the worst that can go wrong is, you know, someone slammed something up my nose a little <laughs> bit, but it didn't happen. They were all very careful, and I can see even when we were running through rehearsals of it that we did like a couple of times, everyone was very careful, you know, to be careful with me and not hurt me and support me in that way. He makes uh, it sound like he's getting waterboarded. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, it was, it was intense. intense. It was yeah. certainly
3: intense. But it was something I really liked, you know, because we did this thing where we tried out these helmets and weird stuff beforehand. And you were very vocal about, like, if it felt uncomfortable or yeah, anything. I mean, you would, you would speak up. So, yeah, you know, so we did our best to try to accommodate that. Because, I mean, you know, it's an important thing, actually, when you're on a movie set. It's like safety first is a critical thing. I mean, that is more... Uh, actor safety is more important to me than any film ever made, including Blade Runner, which is a great movie, you know. It's like an actor needs to be safe. Safe, you know an actor needs to be safe and usually like horror movies or science fiction movies or really dark dramas and stuff like that will involve a certain amount of physicality you know i mean no more than rugby or uh basketball or something like that you know or dating but, yeah, or dating <laughs> which is a minefield in and of itself but uh uh you know it's like but you want to do everything possible to keep the actor safe i mean for many reasons one is like you want the actor to like walk away in one piece 100 percent at the end of the day you know um, well, what if they it, die on set while you're while you're filming i mean isn't that a gift if they die on set while we're filming that would be called a snuff film <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I i will say my legs were sore at the end of the well, day well you were though. running yeah, like crazy doing a lot of running i'm not in the best shape i should have stretched more
3: Yeah, uh, I I heard those stories on like 28 weeks later. Jeremy Renner was always talking about like, yeah, today we just did more running. Yeah. I mean, for weeks, all I've been doing is running and running and running and running. I mean, Uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, physical.
0: One other thing I I will say about that is yes, it's, it's finding the time to, to bond and be comfortable with everyone around you, but also as an actor, finding the time also to get into character. And I don't think for me personally, you need to be in character for days or weeks, Mm -hmm. you know, but I did make sure that before you hit said action that i was ready so i would sit there and you know i would i was kind of you know i don't want to give away my all my secrets but, <laughs> but making sure i was in that emotional right physical place to be able to to do what that scene needed
3: well, how important is wardrobe to you like if you put on a character like your character has an army jacket and all this other stuff in that i mean like there was did that affect does that affect I think you? That,
0: that that helps me mm-hmm. um i don't know if i if that's the same for every actor, but mm-hmm. I know, you know, I'm still fairly new, relatively new mm-hmm. to acting. So for me, sometimes that helps inform things with the wardrobe headgear any kind of special effects makeup is easier to just jump into the character Mm -hmm. but ultimately while you're wearing it you can't see yourself anyway so it it really just does need to come from you i think that's Mm -hmm. it's a helpful crutch sometimes but but i could see how it
2: affects you like if i wear a really bright color and mm -hmm. i'm not in the mood i'm Mm -hmm. in a dark mood i'll be like, i gotta get this shirt off yes yeah for sure
0: yeah 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 yeah, i think that's true and i think so in on set as well yeah Mm
2: -hmm. so as a director um one thing that's similar to because i've been a recording engineer and i've worked with bands and musicians and uh my job as a producer i think is similar to as a director where i I have to push people to their personal limits oh yeah and uh one thing that recording engineers always say is like our job is like 85 90 psychology and 10% oh, yeah. audio. <laughs> yeah. So do you oh, feel yeah. like this as a director, like it's mostly a psychological game?
3: Well, I learned something, a really valuable tool from a, um, from a music producer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, he, so I happened to, to be working on a documentary in a music studio and this band was recording something and uh, and the guy, the producer, the music producer, you know, he, he knew that the lead singer was totally exhausted at the end of the day he's like great we're gonna do one more now and uh and he knew that would be the best fun because i was exhausted the guy was like nah i don't want to do it so then uh the producer like goes up to him he's like all right we're gonna jump up and down you know right now i'm gonna do it with you we're jumping up and down together get your knees up in the air get your knees yeah. up get right. so a touch the ceiling you know whatever and like the guy is exhausted and sweating and getting really angry you yeah. know and uh and then the producer's like great now we're gonna record all right yeah growing whatever you know mm-hmm. and The guy gave like the best performance. I mean, it was incredible. And I was like, my God, you know, that is a tool. You know, that is a way. That is a way to get the best performance out of this guy. You know, and sometimes I've used that to get an actor out of their heads. Like if they're in their heads, I might be like, jump up and down, touch their knees to the sky. I mean, I learned that from a music producer. I thought that was brilliant. It is, but that's a physical thing Mm -hmm. that you're asking them to do, which Mm -hmm. is a lot more
2: qualitative and tangible than Mm -hmm. an emotional move. Sure. You're, well, you're that's true. that's of them.
3: no for sure, but I mean, I, you know, it's like. That, but I think those things are all like. If you want more, in. if you want
2: more sadness, you want more like uh, real, more depth of emotion from someone. Mm-hmm. It could be tough to coax that out of them because you have to push them, and some people might not think that they can get to that limit. And I've had the experience several times of mm-hmm. being like, you push them either to beyond what they thought they were capable oh, of, yeah. which is great when that mm-hmm. happens. And I've also had the experience of pushing them too far. Where they like have a like a little bit of an emotional breakdown Wow or you mm-hmm. get the resistance like I can't do it that and they, they think they have they think their limits are which is most of the most people mm-hmm. think their limits are before the line of their actual limits.
3: Yeah if mm-hmm. I feel like I'm getting resistance then I'm, like that's when I just use tricks you know it's like you, you might direct them to do something totally like that you're not even going to use like great now play it as if you're going to find gold underneath the table or something like that and they'll think it's absurd and they'll be like Pfft, you can't be serious like no no do it you know and then they'll do that and then yeah. and then you know it's like I mean they don't even want to do it that way but then like you've sort of cleared the slate and then you can give them like another verb which is something you might really want to now, now why now when you try this you know mm-hmm. but I think if you're constantly approaching it like why don't you try something why don't we try this instead of do this do this you know mm-hmm. you know then like it, like if anything you can do to take that sense of pressure away from the the work environment is helpful which is of course contrary to the entire nature of film production where it's all about pressure there's no time there's no money but what what about all right
2: so the scene is the uh,
3: actor their wife just died sure
2: and you're not getting the real emotion out of it like come on your wife just died let's Mm -hmm. see that emotion and they're just not delivering what do you do
3: well I'm, sometimes I might just make him do it over and over and over again until they're bored you know and then like in the boredom you know it's like you ever done karaoke and you're totally exhausted and then just something will happen like you know uh, if if, it, if an actor gets bored with it then they kind of reach some epiphanous level sometimes where it like becomes really fascinating you know or I might do something where it's like all right everybody out of the room you know like uh-huh. I just get out you know like let let this person be alone for a little while you know create and you know you can do that and that's a little trick where you're just creating isolation you know you're creating the sense that they're alone in the room Mm. and if they're alone in the room then they might be more more open to the idea of like being vulnerable instead of being surrounded by 30 guys in baseball caps that are staring at them you know or whatever you know, so, you know, if you're, if you're, if you can create like that sense of like quiet where they're in their own space, and then, you know, then you'd say, like, just, just, you don't even have to. You ever do ask him to
2: think about something horrible, something tragic?
3: You know, I did that with a little kid once. He wanted, he liked thinking about his dead dog for the crying scene. Uh-huh. You know, he was like, yeah, you know, my dog died. Can I think about that? I'm like, yeah, that's good. Yeah, mm-hmm. think about your dead dog. You know, and then he did, then he got into it. He thought about his dead dog, and then he started crying. So actors, you know, sometimes they use music, they'll listen to like some. I was working on some science fiction movie, movie where the actress had to cry. She was listening to music, and so the crew were like guessing what she was listening to. Like, is it opera? is it is it, really, it wound up being something really cheesy like some sort of like cheesy pop song like Gloria <laughs> Stefan or yeah, something like Celine that Dion. Celine Dion it was Celine Dion <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was yeah. it really? oh yeah, yeah, yeah oh yeah, god yeah, yeah. No, that, that fire that person I know everyone was gagging like <laughs> really? that's what you listened to to get to the emotional depths of the scene She's that like, was yeah. a She's joke like, yeah <laughs> no I mean yeah we thought so too uh, but it was the truth so, uh, the horrifying ha- truth
2: has that happened to you where you just weren't getting the depth of emotion out of somebody?
3: yeah but then you just keep going you know I'm relentless, you know, I won't I will not give up on a person, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I will not give up on them. I, I you know, it's like you're here, I believe in you. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't cast you if I didn't believe that you could get there. We're going to So gonna, you're showing support. We're going to get there together, you know. So it's right. like that's, it,
2: that's the it, first psychological move is to show your support.
3: Oh yeah, and if it takes us 2 hours for you to get to the place that you need to get to, then by God, we're going to take the 2 hours that it but takes to But what do you do beyond you. the
2: support? You've shown the support. Now you need to push that.
3: Well, then that's where you get into verbs, you know. It's like I mean, an actor can't play a feeling they can play an action you know and action is you know is usually in the form of a verb and you know it's like I, I i don't know if i can think of a verb off the top of my head but like i mean you know the act of doing something is like mm-hmm. what enables you to like feel and so yeah i mean uh, another way i might have them find the emotion is like i might be like all right well why don't you you know just you know say all that dialogue but like you know what if what if you're I don't know, like, ripping pages out of the book. I mean, give them a physical action. And then that gets them out, you know, then suddenly they're not thinking about, I need to get to the emotion. They're just thinking, like, I just have to rip this newspaper into thin little pieces or something like that. Get them out of their head. Oh, yeah, Yeah. you know. And then, like, weirdly, you know, by, like, doing this action, then they're free. You know, they're free to just feel whatever it is that they're going to feel. You know, and then, you know, there is also that thing that you're talking about of, like, uh, I mean, I do, you know, I did work with an actress who, you know, talked about, like, being 10 years old and being humiliated by her father or something like that, you know? And so we talked about that for a really long time before her breakdown scene. And she just told me that whole story, you know, she's like, there, this, this happened to me, you know, I mean like, I, cause, Oh yeah, that is what happened. It was like, we did five takes and it was like not going there. Yeah. So then we just wa- we walked away from everybody, went to another room and said, All right, everybody sit tight, you have a coffee, whatever. And then you know, I was like, you know, just tell me a story from something that happened in your life. And she told me that. And then, and then she was really, upset and then we went and it's like all right guys get ready you know and it was like it was like a SWAT team like swooping in like everybody's suddenly in position the camera guy is there the sound guy is there action and then she goes right into that place but she wasn't going into the place that there's the character in the scene in the movie she was going into the place of remembering being 10 and humiliated by her father so that is a thing you know it's like that is purely psychological of like getting somebody to go into a place but then at the end of it you know it's that thing again that it goes back to that thing of like validating and supporting and stuff like that i mean you just give that person a hug after it's over you know and like uh you know and tell them that they were great and brave and and you know and that you know they they achieved a thing and you know when an, and when an actor does that it's like an olympian like running the hundred mile dash and beating their best time or something like that an yeah. actor doesn't you know like they they that that stuff like comes and goes very freely like if they go to a deep dark place You know and then do the scene you've never seen such freedom when we break for lunch you know they're like laughing and relaxed and telling stupid jokes again and stuff like that because they've accomplished something yeah they feel a sense of like having done the work and done what they needed to do
2: well i've had this experience in the studio with musicians like uh, i've had a girl have a nervous breakdown and start crying and scraping her cello strings i've had a guy who was singing throw his guitar on the floor and run out oh yeah Like just because I was pushing them to do a little more. Yeah. And these are the worst stories. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. So it's hard that's where the psycho the psychologist comes into play of like finding each person's limit. And you find creative people, everyone has blocks.
3: Yeah, but a director will do anything to get the performance out of the actor. Like there was a But you
2: must have run into blocks with people where you're like, All right, I've reached that person's limit. That's the best they're gonna do because mm-hmm. of their own personal blocks, though you could sense that they have it in them if they could just get over themselves.
3: Yeah, but then you but then you find a way. I mean, like you you, you will use every trick in your mechanism to like get Kick them in to, the balls. You mm-hmm. will do whatever you have to do. Now, I mean like I you know, I mean I don't know if I would like hit an actor to like get him <laughs> to cry or something like that. But <laughs> you know, but uh but an actor asked David Cronenberg to hit her. So he's like, hits her, and then she does the emotional scene. This other actor comes in, he's like, how can you hit that actor? He's like, I don't want to. She's <laughs> asking me to. You know, I, I hate doing it. Yeah. And she's like, how hard do you hit her? Hit my arm like that. And he does it. And she's like, ah, oh, hmm, maybe you can do it to me before the take, you know, it'll help me. Too. And it's just like, oh, my God, actors are crazy. Um, but, you know, and a director will do anything, you know, especially if but that you think like that. You
2: personally, mm-hmm. have you had that experience of reaching someone's uh, personal wall? where you knew that they can go further but they're in their own way
3: i would never i, I mean Nothing comes to mind because I refuse to believe that, you know, it's like if somebody hits that wall, it's because they really want to go there probably, you know, it's like, I mean, there's some deep thing inside of them that like needs to get unlocked, you know. And then it's just like, then it's like, you just have to find the key to unlock them. And that key could be like, all right, everybody break for lunch. We're going to come back in this thing afterwards just to get them out of that moment, you know. And then we come back in and then it's kind of like, all right, great. Now let's pick it up again. Now we're starting fresh, you know, or whatever. I mean, you you will do anything to, to get them to where they need to go. You know, and if that means humiliating myself, I will do it. You know, if it means, you know, if it means having the other actor do something totally bonkers to like get the other person to go where they need to go, great. I, I've, I know, I know I've like instructed the other actor sometimes to like make up lines like, you really, you suck, you know, or whatever. <laughs> or, whatever or, or I don't know what. I mean, like, you know, it's like. Well, you ever you feel know, like
2: you have to, there's, you ever feel like mm-hmm. you're working with an actor where you're like, oh, I gotta wear kid gloves with this person?
3: Yeah, but then you're just with you but you're dealing with somebody who's uh, a delicate instrument, you know? It's like actors are vulnerable. They're exposing their vulnerabilities. So But
2: isn't that in- inhibiting to the creative process where you have to wear those kid gloves and wa- walk on eggshells around the person be very careful what you say.
3: Well, you know, I mean that, but you know, on a film set it's like a construction site. This, so there's only so much that you can do that stuff, you know, you mean because like catcalling and uh... Well, no, no, it's like it's just <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like you're building a house, you know. Right. So it's like so you you know, it's like you're there to do a job, you know, you're, you're there to make a movie, you know, and it's not, you know, so like walking on kid gloves around something, unless it's going to help them give the performance that they need, then, you know, and then you will tell everybody, you'll be like, all right, listen, guys, you can't, vote, you know, uh everybody has to speak in a whisper today because uh, cause Matt Kaplan needs to find the emotional depths to play the scene and then everybody will you know the film crew will do it because they just want to you know they're like fine if we all need to whisper for matt to give his performance great if they if the actor needs the friggin water with lemons in it with the seeds taken out of the lemons to give the performance then do that you know whatever it takes as long as it's legal you know like uh uh, do what you need to do. Yeah,
2: but, but someone uh, have a nervous breakdown or start to cry on set because they hit their point.
3: Yeah, but usually I'll film that, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, like, if they're having a nervous breakdown, I will film that shit. That's quality you know? B-roll right oh, there. Oh, dude, I mean, <laughs> that's going in the movie, you know, that's because that's real, you know? It's right. like, I mean, that's, why not? I mean, that's like... Um, but that's a trick too. It's like uh, you know, if, you, if they're if their limit and then they're breaking down. I mean, that's Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon. He was like breaking down during one of the scenes, and the director's like, "Keep filming," mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, so you, you know, that's that's you're capturing life there when when that stuff is happening. It's like let let it let it be real, you know, let right. it, let it happen. Is this uh,
2: like every director, from what I've read, seems to have their own process for casting? Mm-hmm. Like Woody Allen just kind of
3: trusts the actors a lot. Do you have your own sort of process that you use? Yeah, well, I, I like to see them come in and I like to get a sense of who they are and I like to get a sense of if they like to, you know, if, they, if they're versatile, if they like to play, if they're open to exploring. You know, if, if they come in and they have their one way of doing something, then often I'm not too interested. I like people who are there to collaborate, you know. I like people who are there to play. I also like people who are brave, you know, who are fearless because I like doing stuff that's really dark and really goes to a deep dark place you know and i like working with actors who are unafraid of going to that deep dark place you know who are who are fearless about diving into that deep end of the pool but who in, who they themselves are you know also able to pull themselves out of it you know i wouldn't want to work with an actor who goes to the deep dark, dark place and then lives in the deep deep dark place you know and is deep dark and insane like while we're doing our work right you know it's like that's not really what you want you know now how how important Mm -hmm. is it for an actor to have experienced that
2: in a in real life as a person Mm -hmm. like uh if someone grew up someone's like 24 they're Mm -hmm. sheltered they grew up a very middle class safe neighborhood Mm -hmm. now how are they able to bring that sort of depth to the camera
3: Well, it depends how strong their inner life is, you know, because David Lean grew up in the suburbs and was very boring and he was dreaming about Lawrence Arabia, you Mm -hmm. know. So, if that 24-year-old sheltered kid has an imaginative inner life, you know, who, you know, can... can, um, Because I I believe that we can imagine ourselves to be like, you know, much larger than we are. Our dream life and our inner life is like profound, you know, if we allow ourselves to express that, you know. So, that sheltered 24-year-old, you know, could... Have like inner, like deep pools of res, of bubbling, you know, stuff going on inside. So are you them. saying
2: that there's not all that of a direct correlation?
3: Well, I don't, not necessarily. I mean, if I, I mean, if you know, if if I, if somebody comes into the room and I feel like they're boring and have no inner life, then I'm probably not going to cast them. You know, right. uh, if I feel like an actor is just playing it safe, and you know, my, I think my least favorite thing is that you know, like, and it's actually a thing with a lot of actors is they want to be liked you know it's like i don't know if my character is likable you know and it's like why don't worry about the character being likable why be likable when you could be interesting right Well, that's so now like uh, ever
2: since tony soprano i feel Mm -hmm. like all the lead characters are pretty unlikable
3: yeah sure i mean that's a thing you know um but i but you know an actor you know but many actors and and even great ones that i've worked with you know like fantastic actors are like i don't know do you think they will just hate me it's like Don't, you know, just play it for truth, you know, play the Mm -hmm. truth of the character. And even if they're they're, they're hating the character, they're not hating you. Yeah, they're not hating you, you know. I mean, it's like, uh, just play the truth of the character. And then then they will react to that, you know. It's like, I mean, we don't watch Macbeth and be like, I can't watch this play. Mm -hmm. Macbeth is so unlikable. Because we relate to it. He's ambitious, you know. He wants something, you know. He's like, I really want to be the king. And boy, would it be great if my life worked out okay, you know. And it's like, I am the king. And it's like, oh, man being the king sucks i hey. think i think most actors
0: will find that once they do play that unlikable character that it's yeah. a lot more fun than playing likable characters
3: oh sure the villain gets all the tasty yeah gets all the tasty yeah Split, gets, the tasty. Bigger, yeah, bigger gets a tasty role roles yeah. going on yeah for sure and then rickman made a career out of it mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: yeah interesting
2: is more interesting than nice That's what <laughs> oh
3: yeah is. my gosh and nice i mean like in the dating world my god nice is probably the most lethal Word. Oh, you're really nice. Yes, of death. It's like, boy, you're like my <laughs> brother. Yeah, it's like just shoot me. You know, it's like nice. Yeah, no, nice is not good. <laughs> no, man, you don't want to, you don't want to be nice. No, stay, wanna... out, stay out of the friend
0: box. Have you been called a nice guy, Jeremiah?
3: Uh, I've been called kind, um <laughs> but I try to stay out of the nice friend box. I mean, I'm not. You know, it's like i that's not really my thing. You know, it's like a, I, you know, I care really deeply about what i'm doing and then i will do what i need to do to get that thing done you know and that means sometimes you can't be nice i mean sometimes you have to push sometimes you have to be a dick you know i mean sometimes you have to just be like no we gotta keep going you know it's like we all want
2: to go home it's and you like, know what yeah.
3: sometimes when you're a dick to yeah. a
2: person yeah it frees them exactly because they're exactly. like oh thank god this person's a dick now i could just be right
3: a dick, too. Totally. Right. Exactly. You know, and that can, that can totally, you said, opens things up. I mean, mm-hmm. that can totally open things up. And if somebody gets angry, then that can, like, open up a whole flood of interesting things. Yeah. So, that's great. I mean, but that's another tool in the toolbox, you know. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, being nice to somebody, like, uh, being nice to an actor doesn't necessarily serve them. Being kind to an actor, I think, can serve them. You know, it's like, I mean, letting them know that you're with them can serve them.
2: Yeah, I'm not so good at uh, that kind of stuff. I'm very Mm -hmm. blunt and, you know, honest
0: (laughs) to a fault sometimes.
1: (laughs) Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told
0: Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com
3: slash work. Shopify.com slash work.
2: Um but uh it's interesting because you know you're you gotta somehow find the right people. Yeah. That, I guess that's why you work with a lot of the same people because you know what you're dealing with.
3: Yeah, that's trust. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if you trust if you trust the person... Like, if you trust the person completely, then you will push yourself further. You know, it's like you will... I mean, I, I know myself, if I'm surrounded by a cast that I think is great and a crew that I think is great, or shooting in the location that I think is great, then I will push myself further. You know, it's, I will dare myself to, to do all sorts of crazy stuff because it's like, what are we What are we here for? Are we do. The, they're here to do the same old thing? No, no, let's do something better than that. Let's and do something more like, exciting than that. You mm-hmm. like
2: when an actor... Ta- listens to what you're saying mm-hmm. and then it's like, well, what if we do this, or what if I play it like that? And then I will often give him the opportunity
3: to try that. You know, mm-hmm. like, uh, now, will, isn't that um, more f-
2: interesting and fun for you? Oh yeah. Be like, okay okay
1: yeah i'll so, do that oh okay.
3: Yeah. sometimes it's the best i mean you feel like you're watching them you know it's like if you're standing by the monitor and you're like yeah try that and then they're doing their thing it's like man i just feel like i'm watching a movie right now that's all i'm doing you know what it's, it's watching a movie wor-
2: working yeah. with musicians mm-hmm. i hate when people have no artistic vision yeah when they're just like okay yeah that sounds good okay
3: that's great i'll do that mm-hmm. it's just like yeah you want some pushback actually totally. pushback is good because yes. then then something can grow you know but mm-hmm. if they're like yeah sure i'll do it yeah whatever you know it's like, like it will almost always be like, eh, eh, yeah. You know. I love it when they're like,
2: yeah, but I was thinking more like this. Then I'm like, right. yeah, now you now you're
0: stoking the fire. Absolutely,
2: that's
3: exactly
0: it. Stoking but it, fire, it is see? it is finding that line, like you had mm-hmm. mentioned, the actor that was like, you know, overly careful and wanted to take an hour just to pick up a, a card. Oh of, yeah, <laughs> of finding that. How much is this about me, and how much mm-hmm. of it is about like, you know, just something that will improve it? And especially, mm-hmm. I, I know as an actor, sometimes. The director, the filmmaker can be distracted by something technical mm-hmm. and just for not pick up on something that might be obvious, you know, that the actor realizes because the actor's been in that character all day yeah. of like, oh, didn't I hurt myself last scene? Shouldn't I be limping the scene? And like, you know, the director yeah. might be like, oh, of course. Yeah. You know? I'm so glad you caught that.
3: No, but you that. can't take your eye off of the ball for one second with anything. I mean, with the camera, with the actors, with the sound, with the you know, like with the music, whatever it is. I mean, if you take your eye off the ball for one second, you will regret it forever. Yeah. You know, if, you, I- if if something happens with an actor and you just let it fl- let it pass, you're just gonna, that's fine. Then you will watch that movie forever and like you know, and look at that shot and be like, oh yeah that's when i let my eye off the ball for 1 second mm-hmm. and i let that wardrobe thing happen and now i have to look at that forever and i know it was wrong and, you know and I, I know i could it was just cuz i was lazy and let it
0: pass it is such a difficult balance mm-hmm. whether you're producing music or mm-hmm. directing a film that you do have to balance the technical with the artistic all at the same time and sometimes mm-hmm. there can be so many things happening at once
3: yeah but i think that's the joy of it oh of course of course it's the challenge and the joy yeah but i also think the technical and the artistic are the same you know Mm -hmm. it's like they are the same thing you know if you're working with a director of photography you know it's not just like you know plastic and metal i mean like it's like uh you know the the choice of what lens to put on the camera is an artistic choice it's not just a it's not just a mechanism it's a magical thing you know where it's like if i put a wide angle lens or a a longer lens on the camera, that's a different artistic choice. You know, it's not, it's not purely technical. Once you know the technicalities. Huh? Once you know the technical Well, yeah, that, that is it, actually. Right. I think that that is, you know, probably a good thing in film school is to learn the technical and, like, learn that cold. And then you know what the tools are in your toolbox. Mm-hmm. Then you know what you can play with. I'm sure music is the same, you know. It's, uh, I just remember when I played the... I mean, I played the trumpet years ago. I haven't played it in a million years. But, like, I uh, just remember, like, endlessly... Scales and repetitions and like and it was just like so tiresome and dull and then you, you I was doing all stupid stuff, like how to you know blow into the thing with my lips a certain way or whatever and it was like, this is ridiculous, and then you start to see that like once you know all that stuff i mean you can 't really improvise until you know the you know the the dynamics of what you're playing with, you yeah. know, it's like, you know, and I, I think it's, I think the same is true for, um, for filmmaking. The more, you know, you know, the more you can play, the more you can really express yourself. Absolutely. You ever yeah. feel like, uh, directing
2: all the time that you might lose sense of taking direction? Hmm. Um,
3: I don't know. You know, it's like, I,
2: like stand-up comedians, they, they, they have a one-way conversation all the time. And the, the threat of that is that they forget how to listen to somebody else?
3: Nah, because you're collaborating with so many different people. Like, I, I mean, a, a stand up comedian, I would imagine it's incredibly different because it's you up there, you prepared your material, it's you and the audience, and that's it. You know, but as a filmmaker, you're dealing with the crew, which is a bunch of people mm-hmm. with a bunch of personalities, and then you got a bunch of actors. And then you got a script uh, which may or may not have been written by you, so now you've got a writer to deal right. with, and then you're also thinking about the audience I mean sometimes I'll, I'll write in big letters like audience you know when I'm playing like and I'll put it in front of me when i'm mapping out what i'm gonna do for a, for a movie or video or whatever because you know it's like the audience ultimately it's going to belong to them at the end of the day you know so um, so you're making it for them, so I see it as a service so it's not just me and you know, the audience, or if I were a painter, it would be me, the paintbrushes, and the canvas. You know, but it's me and a group of other people, so it's a collaborative experience. I mean, you know, and when I have assistant-directed, I've heard, you know, if, I was talking to a director of photography recently and said there's only two kinds of directors, good and bad. and uh, uh, And there really isn't a lot in between, you know. It's like if there's a good director, then they've assembled a bunch of people that they trust and really like and, you know, know are going to contribute to the thing. But then they also lead, you know, you look to the person to see how to behave or you look to the person because somebody has to be the one that says, yes, no, maybe so, no, yes, no. Right. You know, and they're, and they're guiding you down a road. And if you have a bad director, they don't know what the road is. So then like the director of photography and the assistant director might say like, well, why don't we do this, you know, and then somebody else, would, and then we'll do this and we'll do this. And then before you know it, there's no shape to the thing, you know, because there's not one person guiding it.
2: Right. Well, that kind of mm-hmm. pertains to my question. Like, mm-hmm. you have to be a leader. Oh, yeah. yeah. And sometimes when people are leaders all the time, they mm-hmm. forget how to, like, I don't know if you're married or not. We'll get to mm-hmm. that. But they forget <laughs> how to follow, you know, or listen to direction.
3: Well, are, are you married? you
2: have a girlfriend? Or no, I'm, no or I'm
3: single right now, okay. you know, but, uh, uh, but I have been in long-term relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know, you know, it's it's a tricky thing, you know, when you're like, I don't know, maybe this is what you're getting at, actually, where it's like, uh, I don't know, didn't Bergman say that great thing, I could always live in my art, but never in my life, you know, it's like, uh, maybe maybe that is... Uh a part of it because I feel really at home on a film set, you know, like Sizemore. I'll tell a story about him instead of putting it on myself. You know, it's like so on, on the set, he knew everything. I mean, uh, he do you knew, not want to talk from a first person. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with Tom. <laughs> I see some sort know. of escape. <laughs> no, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about Tom for a second and in, in, by way of talking about myself. I'm not sure Tom know.
2: wants you talking
1: Sorry. for him. Well, I think it's just for you. Well,
3: wait, I am. You're gonna send like, Tom I, back to I, Detroit I, to I smoke am, some rock. I am, I am sitting on a couch right now. My gosh. Um, Um, So, what was the question? (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: I'm I'm kind of comparing the two because you are in a leadership role all the time, giving direction, and then you have to, you know, somehow amend yourself to being Mm a listener, follower, in a relationship often. Mm -hmm. It's another collaboration. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be difficult for people
3: Mm -hmm. that are always in leadership roles to take the back seat. Well, I don't know. I mean, what what do you think, Matt? (laughs) Oh, I see avoidance. Don't answer him, Matt. He's just avoiding. (laughs) Um, I don't know. You know, it's like... uh, I mean, right now you're taking, you know,
2: I'm kind of leading this question no right no
3: it's a great question i mean uh as you can see i'm i'm desperately trying to tap dance my way uh, around it <laughs> yeah. but uh I, I, maybe, you, maybe you feel more th- comfortable giving me a question well no no <laughs> no i mean maybe I, well, maybe i would uh yeah. but um i don't know i think there's validity to your question though so i'm going to try to answer it um i i'd like to believe that i'm still a great listener with the people that i collaborate with because they're contributing ideas and if they contribute a good idea then i take it And it becomes, uh, and like I said before, like it would become mine by taking their good idea. Um, But I mean, you know, and I don't know, you know. I mean, like, like if I'm like I was just out to have a cup of coffee with somebody who was on your show before, Kelly Ray Lego, who's a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. You know, I will, you know, if I'm having coffee with somebody, I will do everything in my power to get it off of myself. Because I'm really more interested in, you know, what somebody else has to say. I mean, I'm out there making movies, you know, and that's kind of what I do a lot of the time. Uh, If I'm not making a movie, I'd rather hear from somebody else, like what they're up to and what's going on with them, you know. have, have so I'd, ra- I'd i would i would ra- much rather listen you know than i would uh uh analyze myself you know it's like i don't you know if i want if i want to analyze myself maybe i'd go to a psychiatrist well, well or isn't analyzing yourself just you listening to yourself well i mean i do i do a thing where like in every morning when i wake up i don't meditate or anything like that but like you know, I have a notebook and I'll like free write like three pages every day and it doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be bad. Is it's that just the had, morning pages? Yeah. There? I mean, I'm not into the artist. What's it called? The, art, art, the artist way. The artist way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I read that book and it's a little too, um, hippy dippy. Hippy dippy for my taste. <laughs> I'm, I'm not for, I mean, that's, that's not really who I am, but I did like the morning pages thing just as a way to sort of clear out my thoughts at the top of the day. So I do, so I do. Yeah, exactly. It's just like free writing. It doesn't even have to be good. It doesn't have to be stories. It can just be whatever, you know, it could just be me saying like, I hate doing this for three pages if I'm really not in the mood, but it is a way for me to like clear out, my garbage or my thoughts or whatever it is at the top of the day or to focus my thoughts or if I'm in the middle of writing something I can get something on the page you know so that's a way for me to listen to myself you know it's like I don't reread those things but the idea of like putting that stuff onto the page is a way to like just connect with where I'm at and like, mm-hmm. what I need to do and what I'm doing. So that's have, me listening to myself, I hope. Have you
2: been to a therapy before?
3: I have, but years ago. And it was great, actually. The guy was fantastic. His name was Don. I was like going through, it was, what was it? I was in a breakup and was living in New York and I was frustrated by a bunch of things and I was just sort of... I don't know. I felt all messed up, you know, and you know, they're like, "Why don't you go see this therapist?" You know, and I was very resistant to it. You know, the first several sessions, I was sitting there like with a giant wall up, being like, "Fuck this! Mm-hmm. This is bullshit!" You know, why did you feel that way? Yeah. Because uh, um, I I immediately associated it with like sort of hippy dippy, new agey thought and psychobabble. You know, and I mean I, yeah, I've read a lot of books about psychology were you born and raised it? in New York? No, I was born and raised in Rhode Island, okay. deep in the woods in the country. Mm-hmm. I was raised by my uh, grandparents who were World War II like stock, you know, kind of like, you know, it's like Yeah, somebody, I mean, like there's that generation is like if somebody's bullying you, then kick them in the balls, yeah. you know, whatever. Don't go uh, crying to your shrink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. don't go right, yeah, so like there's a little bit of that, you know. But then like I, I don't even remember what the breakthrough was it enabled me to start trusting this guy but like you know i saw him for like two or three years or something like that and i really did feel the difference and you know i mean i felt like he was the thing i liked about him was that he was i mean the exercises that he gave were very practical and very accessible like what did he have you do the chair game where
2: you put your ex or somebody in a chair and you talk to them Uh,
3: i don't think i did that you know but that that. but that does sound fun (laughs) uh Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm sure I played variations on that sort of game or something like that, you know. And what was when the game? I don't remember. It was like a long time ago that I was in therapy. But I'm, I'm sure that I that we did some sort of like thing where it was like um, pretend that you're talking to that person or whatever, you know, and what would you say to them and what would they say to you? If they have you right, do chair right, game? What would they... Eat? I, don't, I don't remember the chair game. Mm-hmm. I don't remember looking at a chair and being like, okay, dad, so... You wanted me to be Steve Jobs. You, know, you or want to play it right now? No, that's okay. <laughs> 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 all right, you know what? No, let's do it. Can you do it? You want to do let's it? Let's do it. Let's do it right now. All right, let's play here. Right. <laughs> you this, know what?
2: Yeah. This, all right. Who do you want to talk to? Oh, God. First person that pops into mind. All right.
3: Uh, all right, let's do... Let's, all right, let's, your, let's dad do your dad or oh, your Yeah, let's do my father. Your father? All right, great. All right, here we go. Me, me and my dad.
2: What's the first thing you want to say to your dad? Uh, Jeremiah's staring at
3: you. I... Head. Yeah. Um... I never wanted to be Steve Jobs, didn't want to do IBM. Uh, I wanted to be a filmmaker, and that's uh, what I am now. Okay, that's good. Keep going. Well, you're the shrink. I mean, you have to guide me through the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've got the
2: black shirt on like Steve Jobs, so. So your dad wanted you to be like uh, some sort of. Oh, we are going into this now, aren't we? Oh, wow. Okay, all right. Uh, I mean, you're doing well as a director. Why wouldn't he be proud of that?
3: Well, I don't know. You know, it's like I just was something that he pretty clearly didn't want me to do. You know, like I I went to NYU Film School right out of uh, high school. Oh, good school. Good school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pretty good grants and scholarships and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, it's like I. um, But I know that he would. You know, I mean, he. It was like, man, you know, like, uh, going into the arts is totally, I mean, I understand this perspective too. It's like, it's not financially as rewarding as working for IBM, you know? Uh, but, I know that, I mean, I, you know, even when I did like a temp job, I felt like my soul was being destroyed, you know, so... Wait, um, you said your uh, grandparents
2: raised you. Oh, yeah. yeah. What,
3: why, where was your dad? What well, happened? I mean, you know, he, um, my mom had me when she was very young. She was 17. She and my father weren't married. I think she wanted to have a kid and, mm-hmm. uh, and but she didn't want to get married. So, she had me and was like, you know, sorry, I don't want to marry... Uh, I don't want to marry Jim, my father, and uh, and so he peeled out in the driveway and took off. And I didn't meet him until I was twelve. Wow. Yeah.
0: So it was your oh, mom's yeah. parents.
3: My mom's parents. Yeah. And so I grew up with my mom and her parents. My mom was still real young when she had me, so she was still oh, was in her. the house with you. She was around. I mean, she was like, I mean, she kind of came and went because she was sort of I don't. Know, I mean, she was seventeen when she had me, so she was still sort of figuring out who, what was going on, but like. But so she came and went, but my grandparents, like, if they, you know, my grandmother still lives in the same house in this, you know, rural road in Rhode Island. So that's where I grew up, like, deep in the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, your
2: mom still technically lived in the house
3: she did yeah so yeah, yeah so she was around you know but like i the, but the the mother figure and the father figure were way more like my grandfather and my grandmother my mom well you knew at the it, time that your. are oh mom yeah no it. i totally knew my mother was my mother did you feel but, more like a big sister or, mm, or a mom i don't know i felt like i had two moms you know that was a funny thing you know it's like i mean that got a little confusing so I was like all right well i'm gonna call you ma and i'm gonna call you mom <laughs> so that i can just tell the difference yeah. between you guys um no she didn't feel like an older sister she felt like a like a mother but like she was definitely like young and like uh, you know running around and like free spirited and stuff like that whereas my grandmother felt like really so- like my grandparents felt solid mm-hmm. and my mother felt fluid if that makes and any sense and you sensed that as a kid oh yeah totally i, I, so I felt sensitive. like yeah i felt like i was like you know i really like kids who are you know old souls like, uh, I just worked with a kid who was five, but it was, like, five going on 40, you know. So, I think I was that guy, too. You know, I think I'm 40, uh, what am I, 41 or 42 now, one or the other. But, like, I feel like I finally, like, you know, it's either, it's either I've grown into myself, you know, so I'm finally the 42-year-old I always was, or, I'd admit, or I'm an uh, immature adult who never grew up, really. So, now you know? that you're an adult mm-hmm. male, uh, yeah. was it your dad's choice to be gone for 12 years mm, i think that my dad was reading it as like it was my mother's choice for him to be out of the picture so mm-hmm. he just didn't he just stayed out you, Do you know? have any
2: contempt for that
3: because obviously your mm, mom can't make that choice for him that's true you know i i don't know if i felt contempt for my father then or now because of that you know it's uh it was more like that was just like the, the the way the cards were dealt in that situation i don't blame my mother for anything and i don't blame my father for being super pissed off about it um, was he around her age he was older, yeah. A lot older? Mm, I think five, six years older. Okay, so yeah. not that much. Not that much. I mean, he was still young, too, yeah. you know. Um, so And he was figuring out, like, what his deal was. But, yeah, when I was... T- um, I mean, could you imagine doing
2: that if you had a kid right now? just having kid and being like oh the mom doesn't want me around I guess I'll
3: just disappear uh, that's a of good life. question I mean I, I know I don't want to have children you
0: know so yeah <laughs>
2: uh,
3: yeah it's it's not you know I, I think I figured that out like a couple like maybe a year or two ago it's kind of like oh you know what I, mean, I, I always sort of said to myself like yeah, you know if you know if um if she wants children, then I'll go with it, you know whatever. And then after after a while, I was like, you know what? Let me just be honest with myself. I don't want any children. This is know? with your ex. Um. Yeah. Well, with my, with my ex, I mean. Well, she. The reason we broke up was because I'm a filmmaker. Actually, it's like I mean that was the thing was she was just getting incredibly frustrated. by She it. also
0: wanted you to be Steve Jobs.
3: She didn't want me to be <laughs> Steve Jobs, but she was deaf. I mean, like she had her own stuff. I mean, she's quite a brilliant person. She's a great writer. Yeah. Uh, but she was just kind of over it with new york city and uh uh just kind of like you know I'm I'm done and you know it's like she just wants a little bit more of a regular life and a little bit more sense like she wants the countryside a regular life mm. get out of new york city and uh and be a mother how long, long was this relationship uh, five years okay yeah. yeah. she's a great person but like uh but it just we just reached an impasse you know it's just one of those like well i want to be a filmmaker i don't want to have children i love new york city we can't continue you know it's right. like uh and uh so you know I mean, that's that's how that worked out so um so i'm single right now you don't want to be a it,
2: miserable dad living in the country regretting all your decisions to give
3: up your dreams no that's not me you know <laughs> uh no um and i mean you know they're they're people I know who, I mean, you know, who've done that, you know, who, like, retired, not not retired, but, like, they're my age, but, like, went off to the country, had a kid, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, And, you know, they seem happy, but, like, there is a part of them that yearns for what could have been. What could have been, yeah. yeah. And I don't have to wonder about that at all. I mean, I knew what I wanted to do when I was 12. But, but I do you, I, you know, don't I mean, you
2: wonder what it could have been being nah, a dad in the country?
3: Negative. Uh, because, <laughs> no, when I was 12 <laughs> years old, I knew that, like, movies were the thing for me. I mean, like, it kind of, like, when I was 12, like, I... I knew before that that I loved drawing and I was a child actor for a little bit. And uh, my grandfather would always read stories to me. And filmmaking combined all three of those things. And so when I was 12, my grandparents got this VHS camcorder. Mm-hmm. So I started making all these movies. And I was like, this is it. Not just that I loved the medium, but it was like, this is the way I feel most comfortable communicating the world. No, you now, I see
2: you keep looking at the chair. <laughs> oh, yeah. you're totally so, I feel like
0: you're talking is, to us and going, your dad. Dude,
3: this is like the deepest interview. Uh, yeah, I, maybe I am talking <laughs> you, to the chair. Yeah, well, it's also 12, the mm-hmm. age that your dad came back into it's, your a, life. Yeah, 12 was a huge year. It was like the year I figured out what I wanted to do, the year my father came back into mm-hmm. my life. My first brother was born when I was age 12. I was out of the country the first time when I was 12.
2: Our dad's place. Such a big role in our lives, yeah. sub- subconsciously. It's very strange. Yeah, I feel like people don't. There's no explanation for it, rather than just some primal reason. For sure.
0: Oh so, yeah. So you said your your grandmother felt like a second mom. Did yeah. your grandfather feel like a father Definitely. figure to
3: you? Oh yeah, he was the best. I mean, yeah. he was the father figure. He was an amazing man. Um, he'd done all sorts of crazy things in his life. I mean, you know, he was a minister for a little while. He served in the Korean War. He was like a crazy photographer he made like these weird sculptures and things like that he was enormously supportive of like anything that i wanted to do creatively um and he was also self-educated and very well read he was you know like i mean if there was anything bonkers about him he was a little way too much into the french existentialists you know Mm -hmm. and like uh uh you know, Sartre, God is dead, all that kind of stuff, you know. So so he pushed that to an extreme, but I mean, but he was a vital man. And like, uh, he, he died uh, last year, he died last March. And, uh, you know, when he passed, it was kind of an amazing thing because his uh, memorial, he was really specific. He was like, uh, all right, when I die, I don't want to be buried. I don't want to coffin, And I want to, you know, just burn me, you know, cremate Mm -hmm. me. But then wait a couple months before you scatter my ashes because it's the winter time. Here are the places that I want my ashes scattered. Like, throw it in the river here and here and here and here and there, you know. And it was, and it like was an amazing thing because, first of all, that took all that, you know, that thing about funerals, like, what would he have wanted? Right. He was incredibly clear about what he wanted. And then he was like, no funeral. So, like, if you guys want to do something at a church, whatever, make it into a thing where people can talk, you know. So, people can go up and talk if they want to. But no sermoning or no Coffin there, all that stuff, you know. Um, and that wound up being a great day. You know, it was like one of those things where like the mood of the room was not like we are so sad he's gone, although there was deep melancholy. But it was like the vibe in the room was like, This man walked the earth. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. And then I went out and filmed the very next day, you know. I had I had to go out and shoot some stuff. It was like the memorial was on a Sunday, and then I had to go out and film on a Monday and a Tuesday. And um, and it was one of those things where I couldn't replace myself because I was hired because they, quote-unquote, wanted the Jeremiah Kip thing, you know. And, like, you know, they were flying people in from L.A. There's trucks full of equipment. I mean, they couldn't push. They couldn't cancel. It was right. like, Monday, it's happening. But well, Star- I feel like
2: if someone lives a long life, yeah.
3: their funeral could just be a celebration of their life. It <laughs> was a total celebration. of his, It was a great celebration of his life. And yeah. then the next day when I was filming, I was just kind of like, I'm just going to carry that feeling with me onto the set. Everybody knew. I told the cast and crew. I was like, look— my grandfather just died. He was like my father. So, whatever it is I'm going to feel today, I'm just going to feel it, you know.
2: That leads but, me to my next question. Yeah, mm-hmm. How much of your personal life and all this stuff and, mm. you know, young mother, distant father, how yeah. much of that comes into
3: your art as a director? Probably or a Or a writer. Oh, probably a lot, you know. Um, like, I, like, I know that when we were filming this stuff that very next day, it was like infused with my feelings, you know. So... The movies for me are like, you know, some people write their memoirs or diary or whatever. I feel like mine are these movies that I've done. It's like mm-hmm. whatever it is I'm feeling, you know, it's like, I, you know, it's like I'm going to show up on the set that day and infuse the movie with whatever it is that I'm feeling that day. I mean, so, that's why I asked yeah. the question about listening, yeah. because writing mm-hmm. takes listening. You're listening oh, yeah, to the totally. other
2: person in you.
3: Without brain. a doubt. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I did do one directly autobiographical uh, no, not Well, autobiographical, no, personal, yes. You know, it's called The Christmas Party. It's up on my website. You know, that one has, like, grandparents and a kid and a mom and all that stuff. And these crazy Christians who live in the neighborhood. And that was all stuff that was from my life. Not directly autobiographical, but, like, personal, you bet your ass, you know. Mm-hmm. So, like, all that stuff went into the thing. And I'm sure there's stuff in the movies. I mean, I, I don't know. If I sat down and looked at it, if I, father figures. Let me see if like or. The male figures are this and the women are that you know or whatever you know i mean i'm sure that like you know my mom being like an alice in wonderland characters is, is like deeply embedded in the movies somehow i'm sure that my granddad being a don quixote is embedded in it my father being not even you know, know, a logistical you know? connection yeah. maybe an emotional connection that's what i'm saying yeah. yeah i mean not directly but indirectly you know i think these things are you know the films are filled with all this stuff you yeah. know and uh And I think that's great, you know. Um, I mean, you know, often I don't even recognize it until years later that, like, I'll watch the movie. Oh, yeah, that character is me. And, uh, you know, I mean, I I watched, you know, or, like, that is my ex-girlfriend from Mm -hmm. 15 years ago. That's her. Oh, my gosh. I I was using her when we were working on that character.
2: Isn't that great when you can discover yourself through your own art? Oh,
3: yeah. Later? Oh, yeah. You know, I feel like I discovered stuff about myself, though, when I saw that, like a couple of exes of mine have been writers and filmmakers and stuff like that. So if I see like a character based on me in a movie or story or something like that, mm-hmm. I'm always kind of, I mean, whether they're likable or not likable, I find it fascinating. I'm just kind of like, wow, yeah. that's, that's her interpretation of me, you know? I mean, the, that's fascinating, you know? And like, sometimes the characters are not likable or whatever. And I'm like, that's great. You know, it's like, I, I, I never thought it was a bad thing. And like my granddad too, actually, like, uh, I found his char- like a character that's sort of based on him to be like some audiences like him, some don't. But he loved it; he was thrilled. I mean, he the, the character ends on a very negative note, but he was thrilled about that too. He was just kind of like, "That's great! Show it, mm-hmm. show everything! You know, like put it up there on the screen." I'm I love it. I'm so thrilled that like I'm like, you know, being was, character- was the
0: actor that played that character worried that they weren't likable?
3: No, he I'm, was cool okay. cuz he was an older guy. <laughs> no, he was an older guy. I told you the older guys yeah, yeah. Him, they're relaxed, you know. In fact, he like hung out with my granddad a lot. Like a, he was like a oh, vampire yeah? like draining like everything he could. He was like sort of like if I were playing Matt, i would know, be like watching Matt for days, you know, mm-hmm. being like, "All right, I'm going to steal that from Matt, I'm going to steal that from Matt." Right. This guy was like that with my grandfather. He was like ha- happened, my grandfather happened to be hanging around on that set. So he was like, "Oh, I'm going to steal this." This, 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 and this from your grandfather. What film was that? It's called The Christmas Party. Oh, the same one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a sad one because the two older people who played the grandparents are both passed away. You know, Pete, who played the grandfather, has passed away. And Marilyn, who played the grandmother, has passed away. You know, and that's something, like when you work on a movie and like, let's say you work with child actors and now they're grown up, you know, some of them, some of the kids from that movie now make films uh, or work on movies. The two actors who played the grandparents passed away. So, if you're watching a movie, you're like, oh, wow, those people are in the movie but they're not alive anymore i mean that's a pretty amazing thing yeah. you know that's interesting to consider yeah so what's yeah. what's next for you are
2: you working on something currently
3: yeah well there's the two music videos that i just did back to back matt was in one of those um we're in post on two features of vampire movie called Teresa and allison and the sci-fi h.p lovecraft infused reality uh, you know found footage movie called uh, black wake found that's the one with thomas sizemore yeah cool uh, and then there's a movie called Pickup, which I really loved making. Uh, it was written by a great writer named Jessica Blank. It was my first time working with a union you can't writer. You her last name? Blank. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, she, yeah, very good. Uh, Jessica Blank, she wrote a great play called The Exonerated uh, a few years ago. It was on Broadway. It was about people who were wrongfully on death row. Anyway, she's a brilliant writer. It was great working with her. So uh, you've got a lot of things going on. Yeah, totally. Cool. I, lo- I-, I love to work, you know. It's, yeah. uh. You know, and uh, talk about being on the couch, it's like, sometimes I wonder if films are like these epiphanous highs as a way to avoid actually dealing with reality, you know? I mean, like, it's like if you're living in a movie, you know, it's way easier to do that than to actually, like, you know like wake up in the morning and pay your bills and like figure out like all that stuff i mean that stuff is cold hard facts you know you're spending your
2: days in fantasy land
3: yeah you're spending your days playing make-believe you know and uh and there is a part of me that wonders you know it's like uh you know is that why i mean i don't consider myself to be a depressed person but i can totally understand why creative people become depressed because it's like if you're living in an epiphanous high of creating something and then you're not creating something you're just living your life it can never match the uh the magic of like uh of playing make-believe and castles and kings or monsters or whatever Mm. it is you know uh, We're even getting on
2: stage all the time, the buzz you get from performing. Oh, yeah,
3: exactly. It takes you out. I mean, as an actor, I would imagine that takes you outside of yourself or you're so inside of yourself that it's so deeply rewarding. Or knowing the camera's staring at you. Oh, sure. That's the buzz. For sure. You know, but you can't live there all the time. That is not a life. I mean, that is not being. That is an experience, you know. You're just Uh, a junkie, really. Well, you know, I mean, I don't know. You know, it's that's I did because I was making a film about somebody with addiction you know and uh that pickup the one Jessica Blank wrote it was about a sexual addict but I'm not you know but I'm not a sex addict but I connected with it this thing of like no, the addiction is like making movies and you constantly want to go back to making movies because right. like the reality of your life is so different. And that's the thing I tried to tap into with that we talk about, you know, Bringing personal, your life yeah. To exactly. I mean that was exactly how I did it cuz I don't know what it is to be a sex addict at all. I mean I did some research and all that stuff, but then I was like, no, but I have to relate it to my own personal experience and that's right. how I did it. it. was that thing we're talking about and looking at the chair right now. <laughs> uh you know, it's like uh, you know the that that's a, a part of my reality. Is like yeah. the, is playing make believe and then not playing make believe and then when you're not playing make believe, you are yourself. And then that gets into the whole philosophical thing of like who 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 am I? Where you know yeah. what am what am, where did I come from? Where am I going? And I think it's impossible to know oneself. You know, I really do think that. You know, it's like it's a, a it's, an, m- it's a lifelong process. Oh sure, but absolutely. I do
2: think you can know yourself. There's degrees. Mm-hmm. Sure, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to keep talking about it. I'd have to start uh, charging you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, this was amazing. This is certainly different than any interview I've ever had. So, um, uh, so thank you for that. That makes me yeah. glad. And your dad's telling
2: me something from this channel. <laughs> <laughs> He's saying that he loves you unconditionally. Uh, thanks, Dad. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, Fantastic. Great.
3: Guys, that was great.